but there's no amount of fellowship or residency that can fully prepare you to be an attending and to tell you, you know, everything to expect. So I always tell everybody that 90% of what I do today, I did not learn in fellowship. And I went to one of the best fellowships in the country. Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning into the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to episode 181 of Anesthesia and Pain Management Success. I'm here with Dr. Ty Tachek. He is an interventional pain physician, and he's going to share some of the wisdom that he has picked up along the way from starting in a family medicine rotation and ultimately being an interventional pain doc in the Midwest and having built a very successful practice pretty quickly. And one of the themes you're going to hear on the podcast in the next handful of weeks is how do you get patients when you don't have any? And this is a physician who has been really successful in doing that. Grateful to have him here. Welcome, Dr. Ty. Thanks, Justin. Happy to be here. So for our listeners, why don't you just give us a little bit of context for your career? So my career, um, basically, I, I grew up wanting to be a doctor. My, my dad, being a small town family physician, went to med school, decided family medicine was probably where I fit, did part of a family medicine rotation or residency, and decided that uh, I couldn't know everything about everything. So actually went back and did anesthesia. Subsequently, did a pain rotation and fell in love with it. I did my fellowship at one of the best fellowships in the country, Wake Forest Carolina Pain Institute, 2015 to 2016, and then got a job uh, through Way of Connections in Southeast Missouri, so a little bit further from my Nebraska roots. I worked in Southeast Missouri for four and a half years prior to making a move closer to family. And actually, we made the decision during the COVID pandemic, which was it turns out to be a good transition time, and have basically found an, an underserved area that has been really well suited for what I do in terms of taking care of patients. It's always interesting to me seeing the specialty of anesthesia. And the way that it selects for a certain type of physician and then pain management is kind of like the hard left turn subspecialty. And I look at my wife <laughs> who went through anesthesia training and then she had those pain clinic days in like PGY2 and she would come home and it was clear to me and to her that pain was not where she was bound. So I'm curious if you have any like recollections of those pain clinic experiences in anesthesia residency where you're like, instead of having my patients unconscious for 45 minutes, I actually want to engage with them, interact about their challenges and help them troubleshoot. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's very true. So it definitely self-selects, pain management self-selects a certain breed of anesthesia resident. Every other anesthesia job, critical care, peds, cardiac, general, it's all shift work and the patient's are not yours. They're brought in by surgeons. So, you know, you can take a six week vacation and come back and, and be full schedule the next day. Pain management is, is suited for the physician who attracts their own patients, who wants their own patient panels, who wants to follow patients out longitudinally and have relationships. So it's, it is definitely a, a hard left turn. Were there any patient interactions that you remember where you're like, wow, I just spent 20 minutes talking to this guy about what's happening in his back. And I kind of loved it. 
My interaction that I remember the most is from one of my uh, attendings in residency, Dr. Tom Brooks, just about him talking about the, the passion he had for, for pain management. And then the subsequent patient visits, it's, it's immediate, immediate gratification when you try to find what's causing the pain and then try to snuff it out and then see the patient literally regain life in front of your eyes. It's, it's very gratifying to have that, that. And I was addicted to that feeling ever since day one of pain rotation. Did you feel like your pain fellowship prepared you for the real world of what private practice had in store? I do actually. My pain fellowship was very, very volume driven. It was very practical. My attendings were running a, a private practice at the time. So we had those very important discussions, but there's no amount of fellowship or residency that can fully prepare you to be an attending and to tell you, you know, everything to expect. So I always tell everybody that 90% of what I do today, I did not learn in fellowship. And I went to one of the best fellowships in the country. I have heard that as well about your fellowship. So uh, multiple sources, I think, have verified that. Tell me about your first job. Uh, my first job I found uh, by way of connections, I went to a conference and, and found someone from that specific town in Southeast Missouri. And I did an interview and it's a pretty hot and muggy place in the summer, but we interviewed in the wintertime and it kind of duped us in that regard. My, my wife and I were really happy with the town. The, the, it was a private practice, exactly what I was looking for with neurosurgeon partners, another pain doctor partner and a physiatrist. So really well-established practice private practice connected to a hospital with a lot of support. One of the things I was really worried about with selecting a job was not having enough patients. And the pain doctor there already was very busy getting a lot of referrals in this little internal web or this internal network. You know, the surgeons had patients who had surgery or needed surgery and they needed diagnostic injections and they needed to see pain management. So it was very comforting to know that that would be my first job. I'd step in and have a full clinic on the first day if I wanted to. That's a great point. And let's pause here. Good teaching moment. This is something that I think every fellow especially should ask. When you're taking the first job, if you're going to a practice where there's a doctor or two who are running at like 115% capacity and they're freaked out and stressed out, if they give you that extra 15, even if there's two of them, <laughs> the new doc only has 30%. And if you're on a collections model, 30% of 100% is not going to make you enough money to pay your bills. So good job asking the right questions early on. How did that develop for you? Basically through way of networks and, and having frank discussions with, with my future partner. I mean, he was pretty open and honest. He opened up the books. He showed me how it was going to be. I mean, subsequently, I got there and I was very comfortable with the system and I wanted to see more patients. And so I, I short, short of, sort of shifted the model to, you know, how do I grow this into something bigger? Because what's here isn't as much as I want to do. I want to do more. So I did learn quite a bit. I did, I did have a couple of takeaways and I had excellent mentorship from the administration at this practice, from the surgical partners my partner, but the kind the 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 attitude towards new patients and requiring or acquiring referrals was, you know, handshaking with referring doctors and basically not losing our current referral market. He was a big believer in saying, you know, once you're here for four or five years, your reputation is going to be really good. You can do the right thing for the patients, and then things will really start to speed up at that point. 
So I was a little bit dissatisfied in that, you know, well, I'll just be here for four or five years and see how it goes. I wanted to be a little bit more proactive. Five years is a long time to wait and see. It's a long time to wait and see. Now, we were seeing a lot of patients, but I just, I wanted a little bit extra to speed up the process. And I know currently you're operating in your own practice in a different geographic locale. So why don't you help for listeners just connect the dots to where you are now? So uh, during COVID, as I mentioned previously, we decided to move to South Dakota to be closer to family. And I did a lot of research into the location for years before I moved. I looked at payer health. I looked at other pain docs in the area. I called other doctors in the area. I asked them, you know, where they send their, their, their pain patients. I felt like I had a decent understanding of what I was getting myself into. And I had a plan literally to hit the ground running. So I knew I wasn't going to be full on day one, but that was opportunity for me to actually go out and do things about it. So I engaged digital, digital marketing, marketing, Google web services, social media. I, I really leaned on my industry partners with the devices that I used and the surgeries that I performed to help foster relationships and set up meetings and, and really to build a sort of net that would encompass the referring, potential referring doctors to send patients. I had a little bit of an advantage, I'll admit, because I moved to an area that was very underserved. There weren't really a lot of pain doctors doing their, their own implants. There weren't a lot of patient, pain doctors doing more than steroid shots, frankly, even steroids in the facet joints. And, you know, I went through fellowship never putting a steroid in the facet joint. The evidence was far against it. So part of the, part of the process with developing a, a, a scheme to help you know, spread the good word was to develop education just to tell referring doctors and patients that there are other things that exist besides steroids. So education is, is what I really focus on with my social media, educating patients, educating potential referral referrers, education of peers in the, in my area. And it seemed to, it seemed to really serve me well. That's awesome. So I want to get to that in a minute, but the transition that you made, it's, you know, as you're describing your journey, it's, you've done a lot of things right. (laughs) So you are to be commended, and you've probably realized this already, but doing a market analysis, understanding who the competition is, what kind of procedures they're doing, what their referral network is in the place you're looking to land, this is so important. There's a number of key variables whenever someone says, hey, Justin, I want to start a practice in XYZ. There's a couple first things you look at. One is, can I get on payer panels? Like, are any of the commercial insurers going to allow me to do business there? And can I get contracts that are going to be okay? And second is, What's the referral network like? Are they all beholden to a big system or two? Or are there enough free agents where I can conceivably come in, pound the pavement for six months, shake hands, kiss babies, show up with a box of donuts at every primary care and chiropractor and PT office, and thereby get the critical mass that I need to start going? So can you talk a little bit about like how you thought about that and what the early days were like? So I did realize when I signed up for my first practice that just to get contracted with insurance, some of them will put you on a pause for six months. So it was very important for, for me on day one. And, and again, there wasn't really urgency for me to move. Like I really need to move. I had a job. I had an income. It wasn't as stressful as transitioning out of fellowship where, hey, I'm not going to have any money July 1st. What do I do? <laughs> so I had time to evaluate all my options. I had 
time to call the community hospital. I had time to call another private practice. Um, I ended up settling with a large multi-specialty practice that already had insurance rates, that already had a credentialing office that could tell me what I could expect in terms of timing. And it really took a lot of the anxiety, the administrative thought processes out of my head. Uh, you know, and they, they literally say, we can get started on your credentialing right now and you can step in and see you know, every single insurer we have on day one. So that was, that was unique to, you know, starting your second job and having time to thoroughly analyze the market. Starting on my own, it would have been a totally different sort of an issue. I mean, you could imagine going to a primary care doctor and saying, you know, I want to see your patients. I'm new in the area, but then saying, you know, as an aside, you know, I can't see these insurances yet. So don't send me those patients. It sounds a little bit, you know, not idyllic for trying to make a good first impression. So yeah. I think it's very important to weigh out all the options, to talk to a lot of a lot of people, to make connections, and to see what's going to be the smoothest transition that you're comfortable with. A lot of a lot of a lot of docs are, you know, comfortable just going out and just hanging up a, a shingle. And for me, that was a little bit too much, too much discomfort. So. The current practice in which you're operating is part of a, a larger group and you sort of nestled in with their existing infrastructure. And that very much sounds like created an on-ramp for you that was a lot easier to deal with. Correct. The real challenge was that they didn't have any musculoskeletal specialists, but they have, you know, lots of primary care docs. They had lots of, you know, other specialists there. They had the infrastructure set up. So really what I had to do is, you know, make the pain department. And I, I learned a lot from my previous practice about, you know, what forms do you need to have? What is insurance looking for? Where can I find the guidelines to meet the, the medical necessity piece? Uh, and it, it really worked out well. So it sounds like getting into a multi-specialty group, especially if there's family med docs involved and people who have a high volume of patients that they're not qualified to serve on the, the pain part specifically, that there may be a built-in referral network. Was, was that your experience in the transition? That was my initial thought. But I mean, the, the, all of our physicians that worked at that group are, are humans. They're creatures of habit. And turns out they were sending all their patients to other physicians in the area to take care of multi-specialty musculoskeletal concerns. So it was not what I expected. It did require education of even my own partners to keep everything in-house. That was very eye-opening for me, especially, you know, doing a look back and seeing where my patients were coming from initially. So some of the docs were early adopters of, of me, I guess you'd say. They, they were taking a risk and they were sending their patients. But oftentimes I was getting, you know, patients who were on their second, third opinion for their complex chronic pain. So definitely the first year was, I, th I feel like referring doctors kind of testing me, seeing what my, what my moral compass was and how I was going to treat patients who weren't, you know, like you need an epidural and then your leg pain is going to go away and you're going to be fine. You know, they're much more complex than a standard, simple pain management problem. How did you build trust with those physicians? I, I follow a, f a fairly simple ethos. I just use the golden rule, you know, like treat people how you want to be treated. And it's, it's served me well. My dad's also given me really good advice as a, as, a, as a doc. He basically says, all you have to do is listen to patients. That's what they want. And 90% of the time, they're going to tell you what's wrong with them or what they need. And so 
I just follow the golden rule and I listen to patients and that's, that's probably served me the best. You know, you have a, a positive interaction, complex pa pain patient who's seen multiple physicians and you really listen to them, especially early when you're starting out and you have a lot of time, they're going to go right back to their primary care doc and say, this, this doctor is great. He listened to me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get better with him. Yeah, that's good. So you're cultivating these relationships with your colleagues. You've got some new patients coming in from them and you're looking to fill your capacity in a new city. So talk about, you know, you get the 30% of doctors in your existing practice who are, you're, you're working on getting that up to 100%, but then there's the outbound initiative that you're working on to just get people in the community and other physicians outside of your practice aware of what you're doing to increase the new patient volumes. So talk about that journey. So that journey was very strategic. It was basically me trying to work full time, even when I didn't have a full clinic base. So I would stack all my patients in the morning. I would see them like I'd normally see if I had a full day. And then I would take the afternoon and not go home and relax and watch Netflix. I would literally go out, meet other doctors. I would pound the payment. I would make sure that I worked a full 40-hour week at least, no matter if I had the patients or not. There was always something that I was trying to do to make my practice better, to bring more referrals in. And again, that's where I would lean on you know, the industry partners and, you know, fans that I already had to help leverage meetings, set up events, shake hands, basically have positive experiences with other doctors in the area. And then talk a little bit about, I know, video. You creating video and pushing them out on social has been a significant initiative of yours. And one that, frankly, like I see you on LinkedIn, that's the only social platform I can stomach. And I know there's all these others that I am going to continue to stiff arm for as long as possible. You spend a lot of time and money and effort. And anybody out there who's tr tried to produce video to share with the world knows that it's the emotional <laughs> investment required. It's not insignificant. And for somebody who's treating patients, has a family and like a life, there's a cost to doing something like that. So tell me about your journey in videos and content and social media and what that has borne for you. So my journey uh, really started with trying to be a patient advocate, even when I wasn't in front of patients. So one of my mentors in the uh, social media space says that video is the you that doesn't sleep. It's there all the time for, pa for patients, you know, potential clients to see. So I really took that to heart. And it, it is very nerve wracking the first time you get on a microphone, the first time you take a video, or the first time you, you know, speak publicly. But it's, it's, just, it's just diving in, diving in right away. So I would start with, you know, common problems that I would see throughout the day. And then I would turn those into opportunities for me to educate potential referrals or patients. I would literally make a video and I would say, hey, I want to talk about sciatica. And I describe, you know, potential causes of sciatica and what sciatica can mimic. And, you know, if you have this problem, this is something we can do. You know, you should call our office. So most of my video content, most of my social media is geared towards patients as, as an education. And I have a theory. I, I think it's a fairly good theory. And I bounce this a lot off my friends that patients want to know who their doctor is before they see their doctor for the first time. They want to see how their doctor talks, see how they think, see what their mannerisms are so that they can 
you know, take some anxiety away from a new doctor's visit, especially if you have chronic pain and you've seen multiple doctors and you've been blown off at some point or people haven't taken you serious. There's a huge stigma with chronic pain. And so I felt like it was the right thing to do. I, I engaged a company to help me, you know, upload these videos because I didn't want to spend a lot of time, you know, learning how to automate the system to get the content out there. I didn't want to learn how to do Google search optimization and, you know, Facebook and Instagram ads. And so basically I did a calculation in my head and for me to spend money every month, it, it allows me to see more patients in the clinic, frankly. So I just shoot very, very small videos on my iPhone. The iPhone camera is almost as good as any camera you can buy out there. I do have a microphone that I got for $40 on Amazon that plugs into my, my iPhone. So the audio is a little bit better, but I literally, I'll shoot a video and I usually try to batch 30 or 40 of them once a quarter. That typically gives me content for one, one or two quarters. And, you know, after a year or two, hopefully a lot of that content is recyclable. You know, the, the information stays relevant. That's pretty much my transformation. I never would have thought, you know, I thought oh, I'd put a couple of videos out and see how it, how it does. I never would have thought that it would be, you know, a daily a habit. Right now I have my staff literally write down, you know, things that they want me to explain to them. And then I'll shoot a video and they can watch it and potential patients can watch it and current patients can watch it. So finding the content is not hard. Shooting the video doesn't take a lot of time. And I do feel like it's an, an amazing return on investment for the amount of time I put in, for the amount of money I spend every month, for the new patients that see me. There's, a, there's an immediate trust there. I totally agree that video is second to none in terms of building rapport with total strangers because you see the facial expressions, you got the inflection through the audio, and I think that the approach you're taking makes a ton of sense. How long was it when you, like, well, first of all, what was the genesis of you wanting to do this in this manner? Then how long did it take for you doing, I'm sure it didn't start with like a video a day, basically, or maybe it did, but how did it evolve over time and how long has it taken to see the payoff that you're experiencing now? And what percentage of your patients now are coming from that medium? Those are all really good questions. I don't have exact data on that. I would say that what really got me into it was just recommendations from colleagues and friends who've had really good success with it. Seeing other doctors do it on LinkedIn really gave me the, the courage and the, the ability to say, yeah, I can do this. And then your other question in relation to what the payoff was, I do ask all my patients how they found me, how they wanted to see me. And basically what they, what I'm finding is I would estimate 20 to 30% say they saw me on Facebook. So a very significant amount of patients, a new patient to our practice, they provide a, a decent amount of revenue and it far exceeds what we're expending in terms of time, effort, and money in terms of engaging patients socially. Cool. Well, I think this probably warrants a follow-up conversation, but we'll wrap it there. Dr. Ty Tachik, thank you very much for joining us on APM Success. Thanks, Justin. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com, where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.